0: How many are happy to be in God's house this morning. Can you say amen? amen. The Lord is good, is he not? All the time. He is good all the time and all the time. My wife and baby and I just got back from New York on Friday afternoon. We landed at 1.30 and uh, you know when you go to New York for the first time there's a whole lot to see and a whole lot to do and so we went from morning to night every single day. Just, uh, and we were, we, were, we were beating the streets. I mean, we were gallivanting through the town. We were running that city like the ceiling couldn't hold us. I mean, it was, you know, we were running. We were running that city. <clears throat> but we had an experience. We went to see The Lion King and uh, had an awesome time. Had an awesome time. A, a very generous person bought us orchestra-level uh, tickets to see The Lion King on Broadway and uh, and uh, it was awesome. Aletheia loved it, but Aletheia looked, and you know, she said, "Daddy, this isn't the real one." <laughs> you know, she's used to the cartoon. You know, she said, "No, this, it's not real. It's not, it's not the real one." But I had an I had an incredibly powerful encounter with God during the Lion King. I mean, God just spoke to me throughout that whole thing, and I sat there and I cried. At the very last the end of it, it's a standing ovation. Everybody's cheering. My and I couldn't even get up. My wife looked over at me, and I had my face in my handkerchief, and I'm just sobbing. <laughs> She's like, "What? I'm like, Are you kidding?" And uh, the Lord spoke some very powerful things to me, and I shared those things last night in the message I preached at the Ark in Berkeley. The message is entitled "From Problems to Promise." And I'm going to put a link to it on the Living Hope Christian Center Facebook wall. And so I encourage all of you to go to the Living Hope Christian Center Facebook wall this afternoon and download that message and listen to it. I'm not going to preach it today because we're in a series, but I want you all to hear it because God spoke some very, very powerful things to me, and I want to share them with you. I believe they'll encourage and strengthen you. We are in a series right now called One Things. One Things. It's a two-year process that uh, focuses on eight major areas of development in our lives. We're in the middle of our first component of that process, which is our focus on spirituality. In the month of June, we focused on individual spirituality, and now in the month of July, we're focusing on corporate spirituality. And we're asking the question, what does it mean to be the church of Jesus Christ? Why is the church important? If, If individual spirituality is so important, why can't we just go pray in our prayer closets every Sunday morning, instead of having to come to the house of God and you know put on makeup and clothes and you know come in here and fight the traffic to you know and get a seat you know in this little tiny place, what couldn't I just turn on the live stream and can't I just download the podcast and listen to the message? Why do we need the church, the house of God? And this is what this month is all about. Last Sunday, I preached a message via video because I was in New York at the time, and I preached a message on the church as assembly. The church as assembly. And, and what we learned last Sunday is that when Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, the Greek term that's used by the New Testament writers is ekklesia. And the word ekklesia means called out or assembly. It comes from the Old Testament Hebrew term kahal, which means assembly. Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my assembly. What Jesus is building is not simply a, a bunch of individuals who believe in Christ, but what he's building is an assembly. Yeah. And the great assembly, what John saw in heaven was a gathering, an assembly, a multitude that was gathered before the throne of God worshiping. And so we better get used to the assembly because that's what we're going to experience in heaven. That is what heaven is all about. And so when Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. If we want the church on earth to look like the church in heaven, then we have to devote ourselves to the assembly. And so last Sunday we focused on the church as a Assembly Today, I want to talk about the church as community. Yeah. Last Sunday, the church as assembly, and today the church as community. And these two ideas are intimately and intricately connected. The church as assembly and the church as community. But what we're finding in contemporary Christianity is that most believers want either or instead of both and. Yeah. I'm interested in the community but not the assembly or I'm interested in the assembly but not the community yeah. and the Bible is is about the church as both and not either or yeah. And so what you're going to find throughout this message, I believe, is that you are either more inclined towards the church as community or more inclined towards the church as assembly. And what we want is wherever the area of deficiency is in my heart and mind, I want to be built up in that place so that I can experience the church in the fullness of what it was and what Jesus envisioned it to be. I'm looking at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and I'm just going to look at a piece of it right now. Just, just the first couple of phrases of it right now. And the scripture says, speaking of the early church, they devoted themselves. Say they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. The apostles' teaching happened in the assembly. Now, there's two realities that are spoken of here, and we see them come into play in verse 46. Down in verse 46, the scripture says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That is, there was this large group assembly that happened every morning, every single morning at 9 a.m. The early church met in the temple courts, for what was called the hour of power. Now, in Judaism... They, they offered the morning and evening sacrifice. And the morning sacrifice was offered at 9 a.m. And the evening sacrifice was offered at 3 p.m. And all of Israel would gather together at the temple at 9 a.m. And they would pray while the priests would lay the sacrifice on the altar. And then after that hour in which the sacrifice had been offered to God, then they would break up and gather into their groups, the, the Pharisees over here, the Sadducees over here. Yeah. And now that the early church was born, the Christians over here. Yeah. The difference was that the Jews who did not believe in Jesus, when they saw the sacrifice being laid on the altar, they looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. But the believers in Jesus Christ, when they saw the sacrifice being laid on the altar, they looked back at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And it was a sign of their faith in the fact that Jesus Christ had actually eradicated the sacrificial system and become the supreme sacrifice for the sins of the world. And so the believers would break up into their little group over here. What wasn't such a little group. By the time we get to Acts, Acts 2 here, it's about 3,000. Well, in Acts 3, it's going to become 3,000 people pretty soon. And in Acts, by Acts 5, it grows to 5,000 and then 8,000. And pretty soon, it's, it's, a, it's this huge throng of individuals who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. So they would gather together in the temple courts every morning. And what would happen? was an hour of worship. That is, the offering is laid on the altar and everybody would pray and seek the face of God. And then the teaching. And the teaching would come from the apostles. One of the apostles would stand and provide the teaching for the day. And the scripture says that they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. And then after that large group meeting was over and they were all dismissed, something spontaneous would happen. It says... They broke bread and ate together in their homes. So first it says in Acts 2.46, they continued to meet together daily in the temple courts. And then it says, and from house to house. That is, they would go to the large group meeting and hear the teaching of the apostles. And then they would go to the small group meeting. And the small group meeting was where they took the teaching of the apostles and broke it down in a way so that it was easily understandable by every member of the early church. This way, the apostles could teach at a high level without having to dumb everything down because they would go to the small group meetings and there would be somebody there to break it down for you. Exactly. Now, the thing about the small group meetings in the early church was that they were not planned. They were not systemic. It was, yeah. not, it was not a ministry that the apostles got together and said, Okay, how, how many people we got in the church? 8,000. Okay, so we need small groups. How many small groups do we need? Well, how big do we want small groups? Let's have small groups of five. So what's 8,000 divided by five? Okay, we need 1,600 small group leaders. And so let's get 1,600 small groups of five. So how are we going to get six? How are we going to train 1,600 small group leaders? And let's determine what days they're going to meet. And then let's put up a sign-up sheet. No, there was nothing like that in the early church. It was spontaneous. Meaning after those large group was over, there were a bunch of people that said, I couldn't understand a word he was talking about. But I'm devoted to this teaching, so I better figure out what he was talking about. Yeah. So I need to go to somebody's house who can tell me what he was talking about. So after it's over, I'm looking around, and I see Pastor Dyrell and Chenway, and I go, there's Priscilla and Aquila. I know they understand. <laughs> they understand the teaching of the apostles. So can I come to your house for lunch today? And they'd be like, sure, come on over. And I would go over to, to Pastor Chenway and Pastor Dyrell's house for lunch, and when I get there, there'd be 15 other people there. Like, what are they doing here? And all of them would be like, we came to ask them what the man was talking about this morning. Yeah. And, our, and pastors Darrell and Chinway would sit there and explain to everybody in the small group meeting what the apostles' teaching was all about. So there was this natural flow between the large group setting and the small group setting. The large group setting was what they called the apostles' teaching. The small group setting was what they called The fellowship. The large group setting happened in the assembly. That's where they assembled together before the Lord. The small group setting was where they experienced community. And they devoted themselves both to the apostles' teaching, which is the large group setting, which is the assembly, and the fellowship. They were just as devoted to the fellowship as they were to the apostles' teaching, meaning they did not skip one in order to attend the other. They did not say, I'm not going to church this morning. There's a barbecue this afternoon. I'm just going to the barbecue. They said it's a one-things barbecue, so I'm just going to choose one thing. (laughs) (laughs) So this twofold emphasis is the core of the life of the church. Twofold emphasis. Emphasis upon the assembly, upon the gathering. The, the author of Hebrews says, do not forsake the gathering. Don't forsake it. And also an emphasis upon the community. Emphasis upon the assembly, And upon the community, we must be just as devoted to the community as we are to the assembly and just as devoted to the assembly as we are to the community. But there's some folks who say, I don't need the community. I just want to go to church and get me some word and lift my hands and sing some worship and go home. I ain't got time to go to nobody's house. I ain't got time to talk to nobody at the church. I don't even like those people. See, they're not at my level. I can't learn anything from them. I don't need no small groups. I I got enough trouble with my family members. I don't need more people in my life that I can't get along with. I don't need one more thing. I don't need no one things process. I already got too many things in my life. Ain't nobody got time for that. So I just want the assembly. I don't want the community. And other people say, I just want the community. See, small groups are more effective than the large group anyway. Because in the small group, everybody gets to share. In the large group, we just listen to one person and he gets on my nerves anyway. <laughs> talking all loud and stuff. Using big words that can't nobody understand. And then talking ghetto the next minute. Are you educated or ignorant? I can't figure it out. <laughs> you don't, the man doesn't know what he wants to be. <laughs> But the definition of the church yeah. is this twofold emphasis. Yeah. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And you can't have one without the other. Yeah. Because the apostles' teaching was the foundation of the fellowship. Yeah. If you didn't get the apostles' teaching, you ain't got nothing to say when you come to the fellowship. Because yeah. you come to the fellowship, they're talking about the teaching. Yeah. But you weren't even there for the teaching, so you don't even know what they're talking about here. You say, well, what did I miss? You missed the teaching. Go get the podcast, listen to the teaching, then come back and you can fellowship with us. We can experience community. See, the thing about the early church is that their experience of community was not chips and salsa. See, we think we got community anytime there's food. (laughs) Come to my house, we're going to have fellowship. We're going to have fellowship, we're going to watch the game, we're going to order pizza, and we're going to have fellowship. Fellowship is any time believers get together to have some fun and to connect on the, on the, on the down low, you know, on the, just, that, that low, just that earth. You know, you say, he's so down to earth. He's yeah. so down to earth. What does that mean? There's nothing spiritual about him. When you hang out with him... <laughs> I love those small group meetings. They're just so down to earth. We just talk about nonsense you know stuff that doesn't change our lives. Let me tell you something. That's not what con- they're doing that in the world. Yeah. They're doing that on the they're doing that anywhere. You join any club and you'll get that. Yeah. And if we have community that is not centered around what God is saying in the assembly, then our community is simply a Christian club and not actually an experience of the church of Jesus Christ. Good. See, the question is, you're going to church, but are you having church? Wow. We can have church with three people there if we simply gather in his name. Jesus says, when two or more are gathered in my name, yeah. there I am in the midst of them. And how do we gather in his name? When we gather around the teaching to which we have been entrusted. Yeah, yeah. And so it says, they devoted themselves. Yeah. The word in the Greek is... Proscarte Runtes Proscarte Runtes. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Proscarte Runtes. Proscarte Runtes, it means to persevere. It means to be constantly diligent. See, there's a lot of people who are diligent for about five minutes. Not a momentary diligence. You see, I was, you see some people come to church, they got their Bibles, they got their notebooks, and they're sitting there diligently taking down notes, but then you don't see them at church for three more months. Momentary diligence. It says, the word devoted, proscarte runtes, means to be constantly diligent. It is a, con, it is a combination of consistency and diligence. It is continual diligence, not momentary diligence. It is not a zeal that burns out after one week. Yeah. It is a continuation in the things that you have received. It means to attend assiduously. If you are devoted to a course that you take at school, it means you attend every class and give the professor your undivided attention. And it means more than that. It means that you are completely committed. Not only to understanding. But to receiving, embracing and possessing. Yeah. The things that you hear. The word runtes yeah. Comes from two Greek terms. Pros. Pros. Which means toward. The prefix pros. Means toward. And the root Cartereo means strong, toward strong, or to be strong toward. It means that they were strong toward the teaching of of the apostles. To be devoted means to be strong toward it. It means they didn't come with that weak stuff. It means they weren't coming weak. It means they were coming strong. They were strong in the teaching of the apostles. Yeah. And they were strong in the fellowship. They were strong toward the teaching of the apostles. And they were strong toward the fellowship. It means that their presence in either place was not weak. You know what I mean by weak presence? Yeah. You're at the church, but it's only your body that's there. Your butt, in a, butt is in a seat, but your mind is somewhere else. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. Whoa, hello. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Get that weak stuff out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's weak. Yeah. They were strong towards the teaching of the apostles. Yeah, yeah. They were, and they were strong towards the fellowship. You ever had somebody in your small group who just wasn't interested in being there? Just kind of sitting there? Tell us what's on your heart. I don't know. I don't know. Well, can we pray for you? I. Right. Get that weak stuff out of here. <laughs> you don't come weak with it. You got to come strong with it. To be devoted means to be strong towards the teaching of the apostles and strong towards the fellowship of the beloved. Now, when we're talking about devotion, a lot of people mistake devotion for delight. There's a, dis- there's a distinction between devotion and delight. See, delight is simple enjoyment, yeah. and a lot of people think they're devoted to the teaching because they enjoyed the teaching. What'd you get out of the sermon today? Oh, it was awesome. Did you? Oh, the pa- oh, it was great. Oh man, that teaching was awesome. It was great. It was great. Oh, that was awesome. It was great. Great. Well, well, what was it about? Well, he was talking about the church. Yeah, but well, what about the church? It was. It was great. It was good. You got to get the tape, man. You got to listen. You got to get the podcast. It was. All- I can't do justice to it. You need to get the podcast. I don't want to mess it up. It was great. Just because you enjoyed it doesn't mean you got it. Yeah, yeah. That's good. So good. Mm. Devotion is a higher level than delight. Devotion is delight plus understanding. It's like you go to a restaurant and you, you sit. I, I, I was watching this documentary recently. It's called Giro Dreams of Sushi. And it's about the most popular, not the most popular, but the most exquisite sushi restaurant in Japan. And it's owned by this guy named Jiro. And he's been making sushi for like 60 years. And his sushi is like at another level. It is like cosmic sushi. It's like, and it costs like $500 or $600 to eat one meal there per person. But everybody who eats there says it was worth every penny. I mean, I've never had sushi. And the whole, the whole movie is why. Because at first you see it, and it's like, it looks like the sushi I got down the street over here. <laughs> you know, I mean, shoot, I can get that for $5 at the, at, the, at the corner over here. But then through the whole movie, it shows what's different about his sushi. I mean, from the fish that he chooses, from the way he prepares it, to the rice that he chooses, and the way they prepare it, and, the, and the, how they, I mean, every, every, every detail. It's like, dang. Dang. by the end of watching, I was like, I can't wait to get $500 because I want to go eat it. (laughs) You know, one day when I get $500, (laughs) if I'm ever in Japan and I got $500, I'm eating at that restaurant. (laughs) Because see, I've been to Japan, but I didn't have $500 that time, you know. (laughs) Now, what if you go to a famous sushi restaurant and you eat the food and after it's over, somebody says, how'd you like it? Oh, it was great. It was awesome. It was wonderful. I loved it. It was exquisite. Every bite, I savored every bite. I so enjoyed it. Awesome. I need you to cook that for me tomorrow. Oh, hold on a second. Hold on a second. You did memorize all the ingredients in every entree that you had, right? I can't even think of one ingredient. Really? Go back and eat there again tomorrow, but this time pay attention to what you're eating because you're going to have to cook it. Now, when you're eating at a restaurant, knowing that you're going to have to cook what you're eating, you eat it a little differently, don't you? Yeah. You take a bite and you pick out your pen. You're like, <laughs> cinnamon, cinnamon. Write down cinnamon. Cinnamon. I'm tasting cinnamon. A little bit of sugar. <laughs> Sage. No, is that rosemary? Oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> you're writing down every ingredient. And, at, and by the end of it, you have on your paper every single thing you ate, every entree, the name of it the way it looked, maybe you drew a picture of it and every ingredient, and then you go back to your kitchen and you experiment. And you try to reproduce what you tasted. You know, we were in New York. We went to this restaurant in East Village called Ipudo. It's a famous Japanese ramen restaurant. You know, Top Ramen, but it's like Top Ramen on steroids. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we walk in and we're greeted by a black, black dude, you know. He says, hello, welcome. We're like, oh, great. Then he turns around and goes, You know, some in Japanese, you know, we're like, whoa, snap. And everybody goes, I was like, they got black folks speaking Japanese up in here. I said, man, that's an experience. And we sat down and and, and everybody told us you gotta order their pork buns. So we order their pork buns and we, we take a pork bun and I take a bite of the pork bun and it tasted all too familiar. It was delicious, but familiar. I said, Where have I tasted this before? And then I remembered Joshua's Brasserie in Berkeley. The chef's name is Jason Kwan, and he's a good friend of ours. So I texted Jason Kwan. I said, Hey Jason. Have you ever eaten at Epido restaurant in East Village in New York? He texts right back, Oh, yeah, I love that restaurant. I've eaten there many times. And I texted him back. I said, Well, I've just discovered the inspiration for your pork belly sliders. (laughs) 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 You think you're slick. (laughs) You say, Nobody will know this way over in New York. (laughs) But I told him, I said, but I tell you what, you learned well because your pork belly sliders beat the heck out of these pork buns over here. I could see him sitting there at EPDO tasting them pork buns, writing down, what is it, what's in it, what's in it, writing it down, and then going back to his kitchen and experimenting and experimenting and trying to make it and realizing that he can't figure out going back and eating it again. What is And then going back and experimenting again And then going back and eating it again Until finally I got it I can make it I know I got it because I can reproduce it When you come to the house of God You should not simply listen to enjoy You should listen To reproduce it That is you need to have it In your mind and heart That my responsibility is not simply to hear it And like it My responsibility is to possess it So that I can give it Oh, I didn't get a, a resounding amen on that one. Because, Pastor, you just gave us homework. Now, Psalm 68, 11 says, The Lord sent the word. Great was the company of those who proclaimed it. The Lord sent the word. Great was the company of those who proclaimed it. Do you know that when God sends his word to a man or woman of God, he does not simply intend for that one man or woman of God to proclaim it? He intends for the whole multitude who hears it to possess it and go out and proclaim it. He expects a great company of proclaimers to emerge when he sends a word, not just one proclaimer, but that means you got to listen differently. I remember when I was a seminary student, I took what we called kamikaze Greek. Kamikaze Greek or otherwise known as suicide Greek was a whole year of Greek in one quarter. Whole year of Greek in 10 weeks. We were in the classroom 12 hours a week studying Greek. And, you know, you can feel like you're going insane when you're studying Greek. I mean, because it can, it can get so complicated. It's like advanced physics or mathematics or something. And, and so we're studying several, you know, we're in the classroom 12 hours, but we're studying outside of the classroom at least 24 hours. At least twice as much time outside of the classroom as inside of the classroom. And even studying outside of the classroom 24 hours, you still feel like you don't have it. Yeah. And so what the professor did was put us into small groups of four. And our responsibility in those small groups of four was to see to it not just that we had it, but to see to it that every member of the small group had it. Your job is not to know it. Your job is to make sure everybody in your group knows it. And if one person in the group fails, the whole group fails. So we would get together in the small groups. And, it's, and you know, because the stuff to me was easy. Greek to me was easy. It was Hebrew that was hard. Hebrew was just like Greek to me. <laughs> and so I would come out of the classroom. I'd be like, I got this. And then we'd meet in the small groups And somebody said, okay, Benjamin, why don't you teach us this portion of it? I'd be like, no problem. And I would start to teach it, and I would start to teach, and all of a sudden I'd realize there was a big gaping hole in my knowledge. And I didn't know that the hole was there until I tried to teach it. Let me tell you something. So much of what you think you got, you don't know what you ain't got because you haven't given it away yet. You got to give it away before you discover whether you got it or not. The other day I gave the the, account, the the Abba conference teaching again on purpose and identity. And somebody came up to me afterwards and said, I've been to that conference so many times I thought I had it. Yeah. But you gave it to us yesterday and I realized I didn't have it. And now I got it. Yes, you got it. But you know what? You know when you really got it? When you can give it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I would discover this big gaping hole in my knowledge. And somebody else in the group would be able to fill the hole. Yeah. Somebody else in the group would say, that's a prohibitory subjunctive. And I'd go, yes, prohibitory subjunctive. As I was saying, bam, they just filled the hole that I needed to yes. get me to the yeah. next level. Yeah. You know why you need to go to the small group? Not because you need to go to the small group, but because somebody else needs you to go to the small group. Yeah, yeah, that's that good. is, somebody else in the group has a hole in their understanding that only you can fill. That's and good. if you're not there in the small group, they're missing something. Yeah, that's good. <clears throat> I get some water. <clears throat> so the scripture says they devoted themselves. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> Got to lubricate the vocal cords there. <clears throat> <clears throat> they devoted themselves. Yeah, good. Nobody can devote you. Yeah. Only you can devote you. And devotion is not something that happens to you. If you're waiting around to get devoted, ain't nothing gonna happen. You got to make a decision to devote yourself. <clears throat> well, I just don't feel compelled to go. Well, compel yourself to go. I woke up Sunday morning. I didn't feel like going to church. You only go when you feel like it. Well, how about waking up on Monday morning and not feeling like going to work? You know what you tell your body? I'm a body. You get yourself up. You take, you take authority over yourself. Why? Because if you just tell your boss, you know, I just didn't feel like going today. (laughs) He says, well, then you don't feel like getting paid either. (laughs) And I don't feel like continuing your employment here. (laughs) But for some reason, when it comes to the things of God, since we know he's a God of grace, we don't, we, we're not nearly as devoted to the things of God because he has so much grace. And it's not about the law. It's about grace. We're not under the law. I'm not going to operate out of fear. I'm in the dispensation of grace. And all you're saying is because I'm a New Testament believer, there's no need for me to be devoted to anything. But it says they devoted themselves. And when it says they devoted themselves, it means that they attended diligently and assiduously. It means that they did not miss. Ever. They didn't miss. They didn't miss because they didn't feel like it. And they went to church every day (laughs) at 9 a.m. Every single day. And we want to call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ. But we go to church once a week. And typically we miss at least two to three of them a month. And that's discipleship. Go to church about 15 to 20 times a year and I'm a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. They did that in a month. Twice. (laughs) (laughs) They devoted themselves. It's time you devoted yourself. It's time you make a decision that I'm not doing this thing half-heartedly again. not half-butted. I I didn't want to use the other word, but, you know, half-butt commitments. You know, you only got one cheek in. You need to get the other cheek into the house of God. You need a both-cheeked commitment to Christ. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Koinonia. They devoted themselves to the koinonia. There's something we need to understand about koinonia. Koinonia, fellowship, is a spiritual term, not a natural term. It's not just about sharing. It's about sharing the things of God. Now, in 1 John chapter 1, the Apostle John starts out with this fabulously powerful statement. He said, That which... Was from the beginning. Which we have seen. Which our ears have heard. Which our hands have handled. He said that life manifested. Which was from the beginning with God. And we have seen and heard. And he says. And the things which we have seen and heard. We declare unto you. He says I'm not telling you what I heard. Somebody else say. I'm telling you what I heard Jesus say. Yeah. I'm not telling you what I saw in a movie. I'm telling you what I saw with my eyes. We saw Jesus. We heard Jesus. We handled Jesus. We touched Jesus. And I'm telling you what I know yeah. because I saw it, heard it, and my hands handled it. Peter says the same thing. He says, For he received honor from the majestic glory when the voice came to him from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, <coughs> in whom we are all helpless." Uh, uh. A little emphysema demon jumped on me for a second. Lucia. Lucia hold. <coughs> I don't even smoke. <coughs> Thank God we can have fun in church. <coughs> Peter said he received honor from the from the majestic glory when the voice came to him from heaven saying this is my beloved son in whom we I am well pleased and Peter said and we were with him there on the holy mountain what is Peter talking about he's talking about the mountain of transfiguration where Jesus was transfigured by the glory of the father and his clothing began to shine and Peter was up there on the mountain with James and John and they saw Jesus transfigured by the glory of the father and then Moses and Elijah appeared and, they, and Jesus Jesus began to talk to Moses and Elijah. What a pow- That's a powerful me. I mean, to see Jesus talking to Moses and Elijah, that just blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Now, my grandmother used to teach me that children are not allowed to talk when grown folks, folks are talking. Yeah. All right. All right. Somebody should have went and told Peter. Yeah. Peter, I know there's something in you that wants to say something, but grown folks are talking right now. My grandmother would be standing at the door talking to one of her friends. Her friend was coming, Sister Means, what'd you do today? Child, I went down to the stove yes, and I got me some greens and some chitlins and some taters. And I said, and Mama, we also got some and some black eyed peas. <laughs> 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 Grown folks are talking. Grown folks are talking. Peter's up on the mountain, and Jesus is talking with Moses and Elijah, and Peter wants to contribute to the conversation. He jumps up. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I got something. I got something. I got a great idea. You're going to love this. We should build three tabernacles right now, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And I could just see Jesus going, Just rolling his eyes. Oh, Lord. (laughs) And all of a sudden, the father comes in a cloud. And the cloud covers the mountain. And the voice of the father comes out of the cloud. Peter, shut up. (laughs) This is my beloved son. Hear him. Peter had to say something. Why? Because he saw this fellowship happening between Jesus, Moses, and... And Elijah and Peter wanted to join it, but Peter was not able to join it yet because he didn't have the knowledge and he didn't have the understanding. And so all he could do was add something ignorant. (laughs) See, I've taught at the Bible college level, I taught theology, theology. I taught systematic theology at the School of Urban Missions for a number of years. And I taught systematic theology at Patton College for a number of years. And there was always, not always, but most of the time, there was one ignorant student who thought they were the co-teacher. Had to interrupt me every 15 minutes. Uh Uh-huh. And you know, and and also because, you know, uh, because them early church fathers, right, because, you know, because they, they shoot, they be talking about stuff. Shut up. <laughs> you ain't got nothing to say. You haven't read the textbook. You haven't received the... Te- You're not even on the level of even the other students in the class. You're not adding anything to anybody with your ignorant input. But there were also students in the class who had done their homework who had listened to the lectures, who had read the textbooks. So when they lifted their hands, it was a delight to hear. Why? Because they were smarter than the others? No, because they were diligent. Because they knew what channel we were watching. Peter, you don't even know what channel that Jesus, Moses, and Elijah are on. You think they're on Nickelodeon. This is the Discovery Channel. And so John says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you so that you might have fellowship with us. Meaning until you get what I'm about to tell you, we ain't even got no fellowship yet. Oh, we can have friendship. We can have we can have a ball. We can get together and eat some chips and salsa and laugh and play. It doesn't mean I'm so high and mighty I can't even connect with y'all. That's not what it means at all. Yeah. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Yeah. He hung out with prostitutes and sinners, but that's not fellowship. Yeah. Fellowship happens when the spirit of God in me bears witness with the spirit of God in you. When what the truth of God is speaking to me connects with the truth of God that's coming from you. Now we've got fellowship. And John says, we got friendship. I see you every day. We kick it all the time. I see you in the grocery store. What's up, my dog? Yeah, we hug. It's cool. We can do that. But if you want real fellowship, I've got to give you this teaching. I've got to declare this to you so that you might have fellowship with us. And he says, and truly, our fellowship is with the Father yeah. and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And the rest of the book is his invitation to us to enter into the fellowship by receiving the right. truth. Point number one God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we walk in the light yet hate our brother, he who says he walks in the light yet hates his brother is a liar. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ covers all of our sins. God doesn't want us just to be a friendship-based church. He wants us to be a fellowship-based church. And He's calling us to go beyond friendship and discover true spiritual fellowship. How do we get it? Number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. And number two, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Come on, get in this thing today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make a decision. You know, right now in our small group ministry, we got about 33% participation. And you know what? That's a great start. We yeah. just started it on June 1st. Yeah. I'm proud of you, Living Hope. Yeah. But we're not stopping there. I want to see 66% participation and then 99% participation. I want to see 100% participation in the small group ministries. You know what that means? 100% participation means we've actually begun to be a New Testament church. God is inviting us. Be the church. Do the thing. That's what's up. We should call this message, Be the Church, Do the Thing, That's what's up. (laughs) 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 Let's pray. Father, there are two great realities that you are releasing to us by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. Number one, we can't do anything without you. We need you. And so as we assemble ourselves together each week, we assemble before the Lord. And we assemble before the Lord because we need you. Because we're desperate for you. We assemble before the Lord and in the assembly, we all become nameless and faceless. In the assembly, we relinquish any sense of personal identity. Some will say, I don't like the large group gathering because we all become nobodies in it. You know what? Maybe it's not a bad thing to become a nobody. What I long is for the voice of the multitude to overtake my voice so that I can become a nobody, a nameless, faceless nobody before the Lord. And in that moment in the assembly in which we worship and we lift up our voices, one, God, you become everything. We don't even worry anymore about who we are. We're not even thinking about ourselves. We only care about who you are. We come together to forget about ourselves and to focus on you and to worship you. But God, the second great reality, the second great truth that you're releasing today is that we can't make it without each other. We can't make it without you, and we can't make it without each other. And that's why we need not only the teaching, but the fellowship. And God, so many of us here have been trying to make it on our own, thinking all I need is to hear the teaching and go on and apply it to my life. I'm neither helping anyone else nor being helped by anyone else. But God, today we repent before you because you called us not simply to be individual Christians but to be the body of Christ. And we have been baptized by one Spirit into one body. God, I pray that just as there is one body, one church, one baptism, one Spirit, one Lord, one God and Father of all who is in all, through all, I pray that we would experience that unity, that unity of the spirit and the bond of peace that comes when we devote ourselves. And Father, I pray for a spirit of devotion, that this church would be characterized by devotion, that this would be a house where it is known that we devote ourselves to the assembly and we devote ourselves to the fellowship. This isn't about self-help. This is about God help. And it's about body help. We gather here because we need you, Lord. And because we need one another. And God, I pray that you would release both of those truths as revelations. And that you would put it in our hearts to act upon it. It's time to get on board. And it's time for us to get moving. Father, move us on. Move us on with great power move us on with great authority and with great grace and we give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We're dismissed.